Dave Kerr of the New York Daily News calls this film an engagingly simple, good-hearted film with just enough darkness around the edges to give contrast and relief to its glowingly benign view of human nature. Roger Ebert notes that if the film is perhaps a little slow in its middle passages, maybe that is part of the idea too, to give us a sense of the leaden passage of time before the glory of the final redemption. And his counterpart, Gene Siskel, calls it simply marvelous entertainment. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the Shawshank Redemption. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Hey, Starfighters. Welcome to the show, the main event. Yep, here we are. It's Ruined Childhoods time. It's yes. A, is this our, is this our, uh, oh, this is our, I think, next to last for two, for 2021. Oh, something like that. Yeah, I, I, yes, if my mental placement of this episode on the calendar is... Yeah, well, we're yep. also uh, right on the heels of our 150th episode, which is oh, kind of wild. Are we on the heels of it? On the heels of it. So this is like 146 or 140. Maybe it's 147. That's, I was just, that was honestly, yeah. I was going to say the heels of 150 feels like it would be 147. Yeah. That was yeah. where I placed that. That's, that is technically the definition of on the heels of is three before. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense. It makes sense, especially <laughs> if if you imagine that whatever you're on the heels of is kind of running. Yeah, because you're pursuing it. Yeah. So yes, that that plays. Right. Yeah. So you know, this is a podcast where we talk about uh, cult and classic movies, and you know, some some outliers here and there, and I kind of. I don't know, wrap it all up by talking about what we would do if we were given a boatload of money and we're just like, hey, do something with the Shawshank Redemption and, uh, you know, do a, I don't know, a, a remake or a prequel or a sequel or whatever. So, yeah, that's what we do here. And like yeah, we're talking Shawshank Redemption on this episode, which is kind of fascinating for me because I don't think I've seen this movie since it was just out on like video so like the mid 90s yeah and i don't remember much about it and i feel like there were so many times where i've been i've had the opportunity to watch it but i'm like no i'm just not like uh, i i want to pay attention to it i I don't want to just like passively watch it and dan blessed me with this opportunity to finally (laughs) rewatch the shawshank redemption uh, Dan, do you want to tell everybody why we are talking about the Shawshank Redemption? Oh, so uh, th- those who might be new to the program uh, would would not already know that I am a uh, la- high school English teacher in my non-podcasting and non-home time. Uh, anyway, uh, point is I'm working on some lesson plans and one of the things that I'm having kids work on, uh, this year is adaptations and analyzing, actually analyzing and assessing. And one of the things I was going to do with this, but I 
I I wasn't able to just because I was doing some other things while I was watching it. Okay, uh, it was I I kind of have a whole like assessment uh, like evaluation guide that I have the kids because we just finished our first book units and we wa- they watched the adaptations so I had them. Hmm. Uh, you know, kind of assess it. And now some of my, uh, my, most of my classes are writing an evaluation. We, we read the book, This Boy's Life okay. by, by Tobias Wolf. And there's the film adapted from it, which was released in 93. And it starred Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in yep. his first, uh, it, this was his screen debut. Although I think he shot it after shooting Gilbert Grape. Okay. Did it get an and introducing Leo DiCaprio or something like that? I, I think it was an yeah introducing. It might have been an introducing Leonardo DiCaprio. I think it was. I, I I'm not sure. I know. I, I think from what I remember reading is that he filmed this boy's. He filmed what's eating Gilbert Grape, and then this boy's life. And this boy's life was was kind of. You know, it was a studio production. It was Warner Brothers, and uh, you know, Gilbert Grape was, uh, you know, distributed by by studio, but I think it was made more independently. And, right. Uh, so, anyway, neither here nor there right now. But the, yeah. you know, the kids are writing right now about okay, did the movie we talked about like cinematography and, mm-hmm. and like because we we talked about all right, how does a movie carry over the tone from a book? Uh huh. Like the tone of the reading and they're and they're like, oh, well, you know, it's like the way it's shot and and the, the music and all that. So we we have this assessment and I kind uh-huh. of I've had it in mind. So I'm planning for uh, some of my older students to do we've we have in our library, we have copies of the books, uh, Stephen King's anthology, different seasons, which contains uh, not only Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, but also The Body, which became Stand right. By Me, yeah. and Apt Pupil, which became Apt Pupil. Um, I always forget that Apt Pupil was a Stephen King joint. It was, yeah, yeah. And that's a, uh, it's a bit of a tough one just because there was a lot of controversy about the the filming of it, so mm. it's kind of tricky for me to watch it. I mean, it's with a lot because it has a lot to do with like Brian Singer and a right. lot of the allegations. So That's I right, I, I have a I, so with some and this movie was really like there a lot of them. Uh, we'll we'll leave it at that. If you're interested, uh, give Google it to Google. It. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, I'm reading through these and I'm kind of considering what I'm going to do. Like, I don't think I'm going to do a let's read this whole book and watch all three movies. I think it's more going to be a choice thing. Yeah. That 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 kids will do. So um, I think that'll be I think that'll be cool. But I, I wanted to check out Shawshank Redemption. It's the first story in the book. And it, honestly, mm. it's the one that I was most curious about in terms of the adaptation because right yeah the the film is is about two hours 10 minutes 220 around there something like that anyway this is back before every movie this is a novella like how long is it yeah it's that is exactly what i'm looking at right now because my bookmark is 
let's see, right at the beginning of apt pupil. So, uh, yeah, it is a brisk. Let's see, it's a, it says 113 pages, but let okay. me make sure that the first page of the story is actually page one. Well, that's fine. We can, yeah. you know, assume that it's around that. <laughs> I want to be spe- as specific. Okay. okay, so, John, for the record, uh, the story starts on page three, of the book. Okay. So, so it's 110 pages. What's si- what's the size of the page? Give me inches, centimeters for uh, our metric listeners. I would call I would call this a of uh, f- maybe a a five by maybe not a maybe more than a five by seven, but a five by it's not a, yeah I would say maybe a five by seven. And that's and inches. I'm gonna hold it up next to my head. Oh, so okay, that you can all perspective. right. Yeah, okay. And then what size type oh, no. would you say this is? What size type? I would yeah. say this is Maybe like a 10, 11. I, yeah, 10.5. 10.5, 10.5. All right. What font? We got a Times New situation going on. Um, you know, yeah. I, I want to make sure that we have all, if we're going to give the exact number of pages, we have to give all of the no, other No, we want you to, with the detail that Stephen King uses to write his books, we want you to know what it is like to read them. Yes. So, so yes, this is a, it is a Times New Roman font. I was, I was, I had a moment Garamond I, maybe? I, well, no, it's not Garamond. It's, okay. it's not, not, not the body of the text at least. Um, the... Ah, but you know what though? I think that the title is—is is that Garamond? I'm holding up. I can't see. I am I, holding up the page. Yeah. I am holding it up to I, th- to the camera. I, I don't. I don't know. It is very pixely, but it looks like it could be a Garamond or a Baskerville. Oh, Baskerville old style. It could be a Baskerville. Could be a Baskerville. I think that is a Baskerville. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> We've so uh, so anyway, yeah. uh, I'm we'll talk about how the the adaptation is yes. uh, uh, compared to the the film. Um, well, I guess the film compared to the story. Uh, shortly, we should note that the screenplay is by Frank Darabond, who also directed the movie. And his first this was his first, right? His, his very first, first his directorial I so. debut. Yeah. Uh, I know that. Um, uh, Rob Reiner was interested in doing it, who did Stand By Me, famously. Uh, and, you know, Frank Darabont, I, I, and I think that he did a fantastic job uh, directing this. Uh, I mean, it's an iconic film. I think that it tanked at the box office at the time because it was up against some, like, juggernauts, like Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction and stuff. But, like... Wes Craven's I, New Nightmare, which sure, is ironic yeah. because Frank Darabont was a screenwriter on perhaps the best of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, Frank. so Frank Darabont uh, did Shawshank Redemption and then also adapted uh, The Green Mile, Stephen King's The Green right. Mile, as well as Stephen King's The Mist. And I have right. to say, that, I mean, I haven't seen The Green Mile possibly since theaters, but... And I remember with that one, and I'm not going to say too much in case we ever come back to it, but uh, I remember I finished reading the book at Red Lights on the way to see the movie. Really? Yes. Interesting. I have a very clear memory of this. I had like the book in the in the passenger seat and I'd hit a red light and I just be like, all right, I got to finish yeah. this before I get to the theater. Huh. And The Mist I never read, but I remember watching the movie. And I've I never seen it. It is a fun, it's like a fun B-movie. 
Uh, it's got like it's Thomas Jane is in it. Got it. Okay. Toby Jones. Okay. It's a fun. Okay. There's some other I'm trying to remember uh, without looking up the cast, but yeah. yeah so I totally recommend uh, his. Ad- the Mist is the like the most fun out of the three. It's also the only one well, that's not set in a prison. I mean, yeah, The Green Mile isn't known to be a particularly fun movie, and Shawshank has its moments, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, shall I uh, go ahead and synopsize? Yeah, why don't you do that? And uh, I'll say, of course, there's going to be things that are left out of here, but uh, I tried to keep it a little tight. I don't know. It's tough. It's tough with movies like this where there's a lot going on. And, you know, what happens isn't always exactly what it's about. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. After being sentenced to life in prison for a murder he didn't commit... Accountant Andy Dufresne must adjust to his new life filled with a corrupt warden, a gang of cruel rapists, maggot-filled food, and zero culture. But in one other inmate, a gentleman murderer named Red, he finds a friend. Red is one of the prison's best sources for acquiring contraband and manages to get Andy a Rita Hayworth poster and a rock hammer that gives Andy the ability to carve chess pieces out of rocks. As Andy's friendship with Red develops, he also manages to garner the attention of Brooks, who works in the library, Haywood, a loudmouth, and a few other decent inmates. And when some of the prison guards discover that Andy is a skilled accountant, he gains their trust by helping them plan their finances and do their taxes. He even helps prison guards from other facilities. He uses this to access favors from the guards not just for himself, but also for his friends. When the warden takes notice, he uses Andy's services to accept bribes and launder hundreds of thousands of dollars. This means he is invaluable to the warden, resulting in extreme efforts taken to keep him inside. When one young new inmate tells Andy about a man he met at another prison, it's clear that this is the man who framed Andy for murder. But since the young inmate is the one person who could free Andy, the warden has him killed. But luckily, Andy has other plans. For the many years he's been there, he's been secretly spending his nights chiseling a tunnel, planning his escape with the warden's laundered money. But during his time at Shawshank, Andy made a huge difference. He helped raise government funds for the prison library, he helped inmates get their GEDs, and he broke the rules in order to bring a new life to the prison through opera. So, uh, Tim Robbins is Andy, Morgan Freeman is Red, uh, we have William Sadler as Hayworth, um, yeah. who's the guy who plays Brooks? Cause he was fantastic. Uh, uh James Whitmore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, um, Clancy Brown is one of the he's prison guards. The, he's, he's like, he's the head guard. Uh, yeah. oh, what, what's his name? Uh, Hadley Hadley. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's, um, it's a, it's a really solid cast. Uh, and, Oh, Bob Gunton plays the warden. Yes, yes. Uh, Who's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he is He is great. I remember once I was interning at a theater, and I, I think someone I was working with had, like, been friends with Bob Gunton, like, they really? had done work together or something. And I forget if it was this movie they were talking about or, uh, or another one, but... Uh, uh, she described it, the performance as Bob Gunton doing his Bob Gunton thing. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Like the stern, isn't he like, I feel like in like Patch Adams, he's like the stern supervisor or, or I'm just making that up because it sounds right. Yeah. He's the chief in Demolition Man. Oh, uh, right. Right. Yeah. Yes. He, yeah, let's see. In, um, the domineering Dean and Patch Adams. Oh, the, do- uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, what it says in, um, in Wikipedia. Oh, he's in the Daredevil television series. That's yeah. cool. Uh, Secretary of Defense, Ethan Kanan in 24. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. yeah, no, Bob Gutton, I mean, yeah, great, like, just, you know, great resume. So, such a recognizable uh, actor. So, yeah. And and I have to say, and it's, it's interesting. So, a, a lot of the changes that Darabont makes to the... Uh, to the book are really like they're really well thought out and they're really um, very effective. I mean, so many of the characters are not in the they're either not in the book or they're just kind of mentioned and they're not given as much to, like it. William William Sadler's character. Oh, Haywood. Yeah, I, he's I great. He, I don't I don't think there's mention of him at all in in the story. Well, then he's a fantastic addition. I That's mean, what I'm saying. It helps to kind of build this world in the movie that maybe you don't need as much when you're reading it. And another thing that the the screenplay does particularly well, and this is uh, you know where I was going, Bob Gutton, was that he's in in the in the in the book there are several wardens. Like the the mm. movie, I've I've for, I. I don't know. I couldn't place like the time span, but it's, I don't think the movie has as much of a time span as the story. Like in the story, Andy escapes in, I think 1975. I know it's after Nixon's resignation. Oh, got it. Yeah. In the movie, it's the sixties. Yeah. So I, it's, he gets in there in the forties. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like 48 something. Yeah, he he goes through five different posters. Like I think it's it's oh, who is it? Raquel Welch when he well in the <laughs> yeah in the movie it's three posters: Rita Hayworth, Marilyn Monroe, and then Raquel Welch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh um, Were there oh, maybe others? I don't remember. He does. I don't know. I I have to be quite honest. I dozed off. And really? I I yes. I I dozed off while. While watching the movie, I don't think I dozed for that much, but <laughs> uh, I I definitely like I woke up and Red was paroled. <laughs> oh, OK. And I fell I fell asleep. Uh, it, it was like around the the Tommy uh, Tommy Williams section. Oh, Is that his name, Tommy Williams. That's yeah, the like, like younger guy. The guy who know who knows, yeah, yeah Elmo or L. Blatch, right? The, the, the guy, actual murderer, the guy who, yeah, we are as we are led to believe, is yeah. the actual murderer. However, in the book, Tommy isn't killed. Tommy is transferred. You know what? And and some, uh, I was actually wondering because I didn't really remember, but I was wondering when because the, at the time that he's killed in the movie, uh, Andy is in solitary. And I thought that maybe they would say that he was transferred um, rather than that he was killed trying to escape. 
But man, that scene, I was just like, no, this warden, he's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one of those, you know, it was a good change. It, no, yeah. It was it was an effective it was, oh, very yeah. effective. Oh, oh wait, hold on a second. It's uh Linda Ronstadt. He it, it ends oh. he's got a Linda right. I was like, I knew there was somebody else and the, there was like maybe someone more recent than Raquel Welch, but yeah, it's a it's a Linda Ronstadt poster. Interesting. When yeah. uh when he breaks out. And it's also cool because uh red and oh, another great change and I, I'm not sure at what point in the process it, it was that red that red became a a black man, but because oh. in the book he's an Irish redhead. That's he's, well, which yeah. is so funny because in the movie he asks why his name is Red, and he's like, ah, oh, probably because I'm Irish. And I love <laughs> and and I love that line because it's such a a nod and a wink to yeah. to the text, and it, it, it it's a really. And I don't know if it would make as much of a difference if it wasn't Morgan Freeman in the role. Yeah. But it, it it's kind of like, I would say this is Morgan Freeman's, like, if you were to say, if you were to name one role of his many yeah. to define his career, like his most iconic performance would be this one. This is the first movie that he narrates. Yes. And yeah, as we know, that's kind of his signature move now. It's kind of like in one of his calling cards. But uh, I I feel like the casting is great. And I'm wondering, Dan, while you were reading this story, if you were picturing the cast or if you were kind of picturing something completely different. I mean, since it describes him as having red hair, I, I imagine it must have been challenging to put Morgan Freeman in that role. Unless they it don't. was more like a Dennis Rodman situation. <laughs> or, I mean, uh, well, it, no, it, they don't talk about it that much. It's they, not, don't say, they don't say red, no. whose hair is red, yeah, <laughs> every yeah. single time they mention it. Yeah, they, you, know, you know, Andy looked at me and just couldn't help comment every time he saw me on how red my hair was. And I, how, couldn't tell how, if Andy, I couldn't tell if Andy's face was red because he was blushing or if it was just the reflection from my hair, which is also red. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it's like, and it and the book is it's first person it's narrated by uh, red okay. so and a lot of the narration is the same is uh is brooks in the in the book brooks is referenced and i'm glad you okay. asked because i was actually looking that up uh, because as you the, were doing the synopsis because the one time that the narration changes it's when brooks gets paroled and he narrates his experience Gotcha. Not totally not a thing. Totally not a thing. Also, definitely slept through that. Uh, oh, okay. Oh man, what an what an amazing scene. Because they, they deal a whole lot with what happens when people who have been in prison their entire lives essentially are all of a sudden out, and it's like th- everything they know is inaccessible to them. They, uh, you know, Brooks, who's been you know, he's an old man and he worked in the library and everything and just like a sweet old guy. And he like fed this bird until it could fly. And I don't know. Totally an invention of Frank Darabont, not at all in the book. And yeah, 
credit where credit is due. I, yep. I think that that was a fantastic addition. It really builds this world in a in a beautiful way, and it it makes these inmates way more human and identifiable because it could be really easy Here. to focus on characters in prison who are you know unlikable because they're these people are all there because they did something even though they joke that everyone there is innocent uh you know these are people who you know did something wrong and they are there and in a lot of cases it's it's murder so and we don't have a sound clip to cue but we're going to cue the sound clip of me giving a live reading from this i'm just in my own voice don't worry okay not going to attempt a character. Uh, and I will read you, basically. Can I, you do I, it in an Irish accent? A brogue? He was working in the library then, under a tough cold con named Brooks Hatlin. Hatlin had gotten the job back in the late 20s because he had a college education. Brooksy's degree was in animal husbandry, true enough. But college educations in institutes of lower learning like the Shank are so rare that it's a case of beggars not being able to be choosers. Shall I continue? What, uh, was it as rare as the the red of his hair? Aye, the amber of me, the amber <laughs> the amber of me golden strains of hair. Uh, no, why don't I just I'll just read yeah, it in my please. normal voice. I can't. All right, so. In 1952, Brooksy, who had killed his wife and daughter after a losing streak at poker back when Coolidge was president, was paroled. When I was born, Calvin Coolidge was president. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. As usual, the state, in all its wisdom, had let him go long after any chance he might have had to become a useful part of society was gone. He was 68 and arthritic when he tottered out of the main gate in his Polish suit and his French shoes, his parole papers in and one his Irish hand, hair and his Irish. We're not we're not talking about red here. We're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you're talking right, about right, Brooks. Right, right. Talking about Brooks. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry. His parole papers in one hand and a Greyhound bus ticket in the other. He was crying when he left. Shawshank was his world. What lay beyond its walls was as terrible to Brooks as the Western Seas had been to superstition, superstitious 15th century sailors. In prison, Brooksy had been a person of some importance. He was the librarian, an educated man. If he went to the Kittery Library and asked for a job, they wouldn't even give him a library card. I heard he died in a home for indigent old folks up, in, up Freeport Way in 1953, And at that, he lasted about six months longer than I thought he would. Yeah, I guess the state got its own back on Brooksy. All right. They trained him to like it inside the shithouse, and then they threw him out. Okay. And that's it. All right. That's Brooks in the book. Uh, in the movie, he, you know, goes to a halfway house and gets a job bagging groceries, and he's, you know just getting shit on by people and uh, I won't say what happens, but it's, you know, but what I will say, and this is another, another just, you know, praise for, for Darabont and his adaptation is, is not only the impact that, that, that section has, but the foreshadowing and what it sets up for later so to 
ensure emotional investment. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I just I like, you know, we'll keep it vague, but it's treated as it's made to stand out because as the audience, you need to remember it. And by the way, even though the, the ending of the book is more or less the same in the movie, Mm. there are, it's more fleshed out. Got it. Okay. It's, uh, but it's very accurate. Like I just kept thinking, and even though it hadn't, been, it had been a long time since I had seen the film. All I kept thinking when I was re- reading the book was about how, oh wow, like the movie really, it, it's a really masterful adaptation. Mm-hmm. And of course, it did not win the Academy Award for uh, adapted screenplay that year. Forrest Gump did. And and to my recollection, that also was something that uh, further developed its source material. Right. Yes. I haven't read the book in a long time, and just from certain articles I hear I've it's read. Whack. Well, I, I I think I might have missed the point when I first read it because I first read mm. it and I was just like, "What? This is this is crazy! Like this is ridiculous!" Yeah. And and I might need to return to it with a more matured eye. Got so, it. Okay. Uh, anyway, but that's, so that's, but there, there's the competition that Shawshank had that, uh, and then in terms of other categories, in terms of the Academy Awards, I mean, it's up like Pulp Fiction is nominated for best picture Yeah. up against Shawshank. And it was kind of, I feel like it was a two horse race though. It, it, I think the prevailing opinion is that Shawshank could have been a, a dark horse contender. Yeah. I don't I mean there's there's so much that has stuck with me about it and I I think about a lot of the aspects that I typically would maybe overlook and what I'm thinking of specifically is I uh, you know watching it now I see of uh, Tim Robbins who's very familiar And I'm like putting myself in the kind of like mid 90s mindset of Tim Robbins, where it's like, you know, he's certainly been in, uh, you know, some things here and there. And I but for this character, I'm thinking about how he has uh, how he develops over the course of the film. The first time we see him, he's, Mm -hmm. you know, drunk and wearing this suit and, uh, you know, he's fiddling with a gun and bullets planning or thinking of doing something because his wife is being unfaithful. And, uh, then when we see him at the end, he literally rips off a suit and he's, when we see him in Mexico on the beach, he's got this shirt that's like almost all the way unbuttoned and he's got the breeze blowing in his hair and he's happy. And, I uh, it's just like, he's gone through this huge epic journey and it's like he needed this experience of this imprisonment to uh, kind of form him and, and make him use his his talents in a way that you know not only benefit him but benefit the world around him and he makes that place such a better place and you know I while I was watching it I was thinking about you know similar movies like Cool Hand Luke and, uh, you know, just about somebody who 
uh, I mean, the end is very different, uh, but, you know, somebody who gets into prison situation and, and kind of changes the world around him. And uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I appreciate that it's not the same exact kind of thing that Cool Hand Luke was doing with uh, the repeated prison attempts. You didn't know while watching it that he was doing this. We know that he does that he's going to escape because everybody knows that the Shawshank Redemption is about a prison break. But like, you don't see it happening the whole time, and and it's it's just kind of it's not about that really. And I, uh, I think that that's a really cool thing that it does because I mean, the, the poster, the iconic imagery is of him free in the rain. And I, I think that that it's on is, the poster, it's on the poster. I mean, it's kind of just <laughs> like, uh, it's funny cause there was something going, uh, today, the day that we're recording this, they released the poster art for the new scream movie. And the tagline is the killer is on the poster. <laughs> that's what it says above the word scream <laughs> and it's like all the characters it's like the killer is on the poster oh that's and fantastic it's really funny and oh uh, man yeah and uh and that's what's funny about the you know it's interesting with the shawshank redemption is it's just like yeah he breaks out of prison but you don't even know what goes on in the meantime it's not like, about it's, it's not, not about, about that. that it well it's about it's it's about right. It's about what happens in the meantime, but also how and right. how he develops this friendship because Red is the guy who knows how to get things. Yeah, and and it's like it just starts there. It, 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 that's just kind of where it starts. He gains the trust of all of these people, and he the entire time is you know his wheels are turning, and he's forming all of these plans that no one mm-hmm. else knows about, and. He develops this system that, you know, in the end is for him and for Red. Well, yeah. And and first of all, I, I, I have a couple of points I want to make. But first of all, I forget in the movie, do, do they do, does Red kind of go back and show how like does Red talk about how he figures out how Andy did it or uh, does he talk about how he figured it out? I'm trying because. All right. So in the book. Uh He uh, so it's funny because the book it's told from his perspective. So whenever and this is something Stephen King does really well is he always justifies it when he's writing about something that his character couldn't have been there for. And got it. Yeah. And he talks about at a certain point in the story, he's like, now at this point, this is really this is very much speculation. I don't remember. I don't really remember if he says that, but I know that when he, uh, when he's talking about how Andy, uh, crawls through, uh, you know, five hundred yards of yep. mm-hmm. sewer line, he's. Yep. I, I'm pretty sure that the wording that he used was like he must have climbed through, like you know, what would have been this, and I think that the terminology is a little bit more vague and speculative, but I don't believe he says like, now I wasn't there, so I don't know. But what we do see is, you know, Andy with a rock banging the pipe, Mm -hmm. uh, banging a hole in the pipe along with like the thunderclaps. And there's no way that, um, that wasn't something that was narrated. It's just something that we saw. So, uh, I think that there's kind of a 
a show part of it rather than a tell when there are moments that he couldn't have known. Right. Yeah. And um, let's see, I'm looking here. Yeah. He even has this part where he goes, that's where my educated guesses run out folks from this point, Uh they become progressively wilder. Um, So they, they talk about, and he talks about why Andy took so long to do it and how he was, he has all these theories as to like why he didn't do it sooner Uh and all, all these things that might've stopped him. And he doesn't know that Andy definitely made it until he gets a postcard from Andy. Right. Yeah. So, um, in Mc, Mc, yeah, from McNary, Texas, Texas. So yeah. then, uh, I'm looking for where he makes the comment about like when he, when, because it's like, he talks about the escape almost like in the middle of the story or like within the hmm. first half of the story. And then he goes, all right, let's go back and, Talk about I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Freeze Um, frame. So, but yeah, he talks about how uh, Andy was kind of, he was scraping away at the, you know, at the wall and just kind of like, and smuggling out the dirt, like in his, the cuffs of his pants. Right. Well, that's what I was wondering because I was expecting to see a moment where like he goes out to the yard and like wriggles his pants and dirt falls out, but that doesn't happen. And I think that you just see that in so many other things that you expect it to happen. Um, And that's what I think that's what red says because he like, I I, I'm trying to remember if, if this is in the book, but I think like, he says he sees in the yard some like stuff that definitely isn't usually there or I I forget exactly mm. what but red kind of figures out and oh he talks about like when Andy figured out that the walls were it was because they were made with a certain type of concrete during the depression huh that didn't come up in the movie. Uh, it definitely shows when when you when it comes back and it shows how he got out. It has him with the rock hammer and he's like carving his name into right. the wall, right. and a chunk of the wall just kind of comes off. Yeah. So uh, the way that Red is describing it is like it would have taken. I thought it would have taken him like. 600 years or whatever it is to like get out of there but it turns out it was just 20 and uh, he doesn't explain the construction of the wall as being the reason he's just like i don't know uh yeah no they definitely go into it and how yeah it was something about when the walls of uh, uh, when that cell block was built it was during the depression and they were using the cement that you know, turned out to not be as sturdy. And Uh then, but that also Andy uh, knew that in, because he worked in the library, he had access to like a lot of the plans and things like that. Um, And because he ran the library. Also, he made sure that he never had a cellmate. That was like kind of part of his special deal in the book. Yeah, that kind of comes up in the movie, but I don't think that it was like a special request. You know, there's just a mention of like how he has a his own cell. Oh, no. So in the book, that's actually part of like once he gets his little like gig going where Uh he's like doing everyone's taxes and everything and, uh, you know, handling all the all the money for all like the guards and the warden. 
he gets and it's not with Norton. It's before War. It's before Norton joins mm. the prison. Norton's like, I don't know, the third warden in mm. uh, in the book. And he uh, so Andy. So that's kind of part of Andy's deal is that he gets his own cell. And yeah. then I think it's when Norton start, or like one of the wardens starts, he doesn't, he's not in on that part of the deal yet. So Andy, mm. so for eight months, Andy has a cellmate. Got it. And, um, Oh, what did the guy say? It's like, whenever the guy would talk about Andy, he would just be like quiet, quiet, you know, he's quiet, but he's nice. And then, like ah, he's always doing this, and <laughs> got it. Interesting. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely it's worth a read. I would say for anyone who who likes this movie but has never read it, read the story. It's really worth the read. And I think having the movie in your, I mean, like you said, it's on the poster. So yeah, uh, you know, I I really enjoy. I've never seen the movie Prison Break with with Sylvester Stallone, but I uh, I like um, what that was called. No, that was called Escape no. Plan. That's yes, right. Escape Plan. Prison Break was the show. Um, but I really like the show Escape at Danamora, which I've talked about plenty on this podcast. Oh, right, in the past. right, yeah. I uh, I really enjoy these, you know, prison escape stories. Not that. I mean, the, the prison system is broken. This is true. Uh, oh, that's a, a completely separate conversation. That, <laughs> but it? therein lies the other point that I was going that that uh-huh. I was going to make at some point. Um, it, this could be going back to the Bob Gunton conversation, yeah. but uh, no, it's what. So it makes you know we definitely get the sense that the prisoners are are not treated at, they're treated as subhuman right. and uh, and i i would suggest that the prisoners at Shawshank compared to other places especially now especially in the private prison system uh have it like the people at Shawshank didn't have it so bad right and yeah. and it was rough <laughs> yeah and and i will say i mean to this does demonstrate how corrupt prisons can be this is not a true story but it's you know just to show just to show like how the warden uh, clearly the the way that uh prisoners weren't making parole and this is you know thinking about red and his experience like he was never gonna make parole with that warden in there when that warden was out he makes parole. He made parole. And, and it's like, you know, there's this idea of keeping prisoners in there, keeping the prisons full, that I'm sure that there's, yeah. and I, you know, the idea of, like, secret deals made to, like, keep but, that coming in. And then what Andy does, and I love I love how they do this, and this is definitely an idea in, in the book, and I think it's really... You know, if there's any scene that really captures it, it's it's when he convinces the guards to let he and the the guys have have some beer up on up on the roof. That's a great scene. It is such a great scene. And it really shows how Andy, you know, Red makes the point like he he helped us remember where he like we felt like men. We felt like and that's that's really the the power of this it's also kind of i mean i feel bad like saying this but i feel like it's almost like this like a like a myth and almost a 
uh, a a trope or a, or a cliche, the myth of like the the person who comes into just an awful place and makes it more bearable. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and there's also you know. Of course, the the hero's journey, the the growth of this character. Right. Uh, you know, at the beginning, like I said, we see him. He's drinking liquor straight from the bottle, and there on the roof, Haywood is offering him like an ice cold beer, and he doesn't want it. Also, not mentioned in the movie is that he only has a drink. Uh, he only, I think, drinks twice a year. He has a whiskey, I think, on his birthday and hmm. on New Year's Day or something like that. And that's definitely in the book that he... See, I I like that that's not a part of this because right. of how it shows him at the very beginning drinking. And if it... Well, he's still... That still happens. Yeah, in, but if there was yeah. any sort of implication that he still did drink at all, it, I don't know. It would take away from that moment, for me at least, a little bit. Mm, agreed. I... Yeah. yeah, totally agree. What I also like that they do, and they do this in the movie and, and the book, is that they they do leave you... They do set it up so that you you don't know, really. I mean... You don't know 100% ever because the best, like the closest that you come to having confirmation that that Andy didn't do it is the word of mouth from, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like, and I think when I ask myself, I'm like, okay, so as as an audience member, as a reader, I buy it. Do I buy it because I really like this guy and I don't want him to actually be guilty of something like yeah. that, even in these circumstances? Right. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that it helps for him to be this like redemptive character, you know, this person who brings redemption to uh, Shawshank. Yeah. It's like he, it's almost like he was sent there to, you know, affect these lives and just like bring this positivity right. to this, to this world that, right. you know, <laughs> the, the only culture they had were these like movies that they would watch, but it was the same movies all the time. And yeah. it's not like they were highbrow or, you know, high culture in any way. They were, you know, Gilda. Yeah, you know, there were fine movies, but it's like they, uh, you know, once he plays the opera over the loudspeaker for everybody, uh, finds himself in the hole for, the, I think, the first time. Uh, uh, that is such a, a big moment because it's like they are all experiencing like this true beauty. And of uh, course, I know you you thought of the same other movie that I did. Amadeus. Fitzcarraldo. Oh, Fitzcarraldo. Because I was like, because I was, I was thinking, is that the Marriage of Figaro that he's yes. playing? And uh, yeah, yes, yes, so, yes. No, I, I guess I thought, I thought of Fitzcarraldo. That's funny. That's but, so funny. And, and it's also so it's that in, in another aspect of it where Andy is, uh, he's re he's reminding these people that they're human and that they're alive. Yeah. And, and and you even see that after Red's parole mm -hmm. and in Red's s situation after his parole. 
I, I we're speaking vaguely about the ending, so I don't right. want to get more specific. But Red finds himself with kind of a, a, a we'll call it a Shakespearean dilemma. Yeah. At, at the uh, you know towards the end of the film, after he's paroled and he's working uh, Brooksy's old job. Yeah. And living groceries, in living same, in Brooksy's old yeah, apartment, halfway house, halfway house. Yeah. And again, it's Andy. The the idea of Andy and what Andy it's and the fact that Andy could make the un the unimaginable true yeah. happen. He's very you know, I keep we're talking about this. I keep thinking of Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking of Mary uh, Poppins. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny because I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about how we were covering Shawshank Redemption and they were saying to me like that they hadn't seen it in a really long time. And they asked like. You know, does it hold up or are there some or is it more racist than we'd like to remember? And I was like, let me tell you the only moments that were racially off to me. Morgan Freeman in the 60s hitchhikes with a white man with no problem. And people like he's bagging groceries and and his boss is nice to him like that to me did not uh, feel like that would have been maybe exactly accurate. Yeah, I don't know. They they are in New England, so I mean, uh, sure. I, no, yeah. I, it is. It's also the 1960s, and it's yeah. not yet. You know, so yes, yes, yes. So yes. I'm, but that also. But that was. But that I'm just saying. Yeah. That's the only thing that I could think of where it's like it might not be racially accurate in that way. But I feel like it still holds up in, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, any other kind of, you know, racial modes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, ab- absolutely. Um, so I-, I have to ask, because this is a movie that people talk about it with. There are people, it's fans speak of it with such reverence uh-huh. and it, it even so much that. If you happen to be in conversation with a with a, a de- devotee of the Shawshank Redemption, okay, that that can actually get into the nuts and bolts of the awards season in 1994. Mm. I mean, okay, it's a great movie. I think it's a great movie. I think I think the the acting nominations were deserved. And I thought that the, you know, the 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 screenwriting nomination deserved. And 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 I I don't I don't know that when I think about the top five, like the five best movies of that year, though, I don't know that Shawshank or a pet detective. The mask, dumb and dumber. dumber. That's that's (laughs) three, of course. Um and Jim Carrey would get three Best Actor nominations. It would mm-hmm. split the vote. That way, Morgan Freeman wins. Um, oh wait, Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So so anyway, so so I don't know where does it to me it lands. And I remember when it came out. I feel like the Star Ledger review, and I could absolutely look Ooh, this up. New Jersey local newspaper. A, a little New Jersey, you know the the New the Star Ledger. If you've watched New the Sopranos, edition. you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, not not the not the Camden edition. No. Uh, so 
I'm going to look it up for a moment, but I'm pretty sure it got like a one and a half star really? review. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Review Star Ledger. And I'm I'm not sure who the, the critic would have been then. If, I don't know the names of the Star Ledger critics. I mean, I know Stephen Witte because. Oh, uh-huh. I, that sounds familiar. Like, met him and uh his kid went to a camp where i worked uh so anyway i i i may not have this this might we might need to come back to this another time yeah i mean how does it so to me it's a to me it's a three star it's a it's a three star i don't know it's really hard to decide because i i think that uh the the fame of it is uh, maybe not necessarily because of the greatness of the movie, but just because of the like the impact that it had for a lot of people. And, and I, I think that just like and and not to take anything away from it, but it's like maybe not the best movie, but there's a lot of really good aspects about it. And I yeah. don't know. I see the thing is like Tim Robbins was great in it but even though i think that forrest gump is not a great movie uh tom hanks's performance was a great performance and i i think that what he did with that was really fascinating what i do think shawshank redemption excelled in was uh hair and makeup in you know aging and de-aging i think yes. that it really did an excellent job there um yes i thought that that was excellent uh you know costumes were fantastic too i mean it's it's hard to really miss with something like that but it's I, really well it's really well shot i think it was the, shot by roger deakins is, roger deakins yeah. was the dp and i i feel like i don't know i mean I think that he's definitely gotten better over time. This wasn't necessarily like the most gorgeous movie, but there were definitely, I mean, clearly it has an, the iconic shot at the end where he's in the rain and everything. It's on the poster. Yeah. The killer's on the poster. And, uh, I, you know, clearly th- there's certain moments that have beautiful cinematography, but like uh, ultimately as a whole, I don't think that it was like, an an incredible movie. I really liked it. I feel like it's a very like watchable and rewatchable movie. It's a Sunday Um, afternooner. It is. And it, and it gives you the, the good feels, you know, it, it it has a, a happy ending for like all around, like every single thing that was bad turns out good. Yeah. So it's like, it's not a, a great film I think partially because of that. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I generally like everything you're saying is kind of echoing what I'm thinking and, and really what I've felt since the first time I saw it was, you know, it's a good solid drama. It's, you know, it, I would, you know, probably appeals. I, I know it has its uh, fans among men and women, but you know, it definitely, I mean, like, there's no women. I think Rita Hayworth is the only woman you see in the movie. And oh, there's, there's the, the like there's the, the what the the woman who buys groceries. 
Yeah. And the, you know, Andy Dufresne's wife, kind of. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, and just kind of thinking about 1994 movies and even ones that I haven't seen, like I have never seen like red, like of the red, blue, white trilogy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever seen that? Any of those? Uh, when I was in college, I definitely went through all those. Okay, uh, we're, uh, I'm gonna check them out again because I feel like at the time I probably saw them differently than I would see them yeah. now. Oh, by the way, sorry. Uh, you know, just because uh, I'm I'm looking at movies that came out in 1994, and not that this is necessarily anything that that was more Oscar worthy than Shawshank Redemption, but uh, I see Interview of the Vampire and just mm. pour one out for Anne Rice. Pour one pour, out pour for a Anne goblet, Rice. a goblet of blood yeah. for Anne Anne Rice who yeah. passed. And and such a big part of like the 90s and those books were so And also just like a pioneer in horny vampire movies. I mean, seriously, though, like those were some books, books. Well, yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, Yeah. The movies never really uh, took off the way that they hoped. But I'm looking at these movies from 1994. And I mean, of course, like I love Pulp Fiction. I know you love Pulp Fiction. To me, there's not. And I rewatched it recently because, you know, it's that time of year. And I watched it a couple months ago, maybe. You know what? I, one thing I focused on, this is what I love about watching some movies more than once, is you could focus on aspects that maybe you overlooked. And I feel like I always overlooked John Travolta's performance. Like, I always yeah. liked it, but I really watched him this time. And, man, when when he is on, yeah. he is on on yeah and you know i think that quentin darantino deserves a lot of credit for that because you know we've seen a lot of the other movies that he was doing after that time phenomenon michael things like that right uh, you know or like face off and it's just like yeah yeah you know he's maybe it's just the fact that he's he was back and he didn't have to try as hard is that right? Yeah. Well, well, because I well, because I'm gonna go. I I feel like I was thinking about his career, and so I this is a brief tangent. Uh, I was thinking about his career, and I was thinking, okay, where were his big career peaks? They came in these two year bursts of like uh. perfect roles. So seventy seven Tony yeah. Monero and Saturday Night Fever, seventy eight Danny Zuko in Greece, and then maybe he stops <sighs> trying. And then, oh, a little, you got a little look who's talking. It's kind of like a W. Yeah. There's a little burst, but also the experts is that same year. So, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got 94, 95, yeah. Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he is wonderful in Get Shorty. I I was just thinking recently, it was like, man, you know, I could use one more really good John Travolta performance. Ah, uh, I I don't know if he's got it. It would in him. be a real surprise if he pulled one out. I I know. Uh, but... I know that there are a lot of people who are like swordfish fans. Um, you know, he had like a few here and there that hit. Well, where but... he's the villain in the action movie, and he's yeah, I don't know. Uh... He's kind of gone a little like Steven Seagal-y in the way that he's just like appearing now, like in these weird move, like straight straight to streaming movies that aren't even like you know featured right my final my final word on it will be this i do kind of want to watch him in gaudy oh oh God. not a final word also got to give a shout out a civil action from 1998 okay he, he that's a really good movie uh what year is primary colors 
Oh shit! Same year, primary colors. So, oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, the the Travolta two step. Um, <laughs> but going back to 1994 movies, I mean, like I would almost put I'd put Ed Wood up there. Ed Wood is great. I love higher Ed Wood. on my higher on my list. I mean, look, I mean, four weddings and a funeral is four weddings and a funeral. No, but, yeah, it's fine. Uh, like uh, Le- Leon was 1994. Sure. Natural Born yeah. Killers, which is very you know, it, it, mm-hmm. hit or miss, but yeah. So I feel like Shawshank is just like a good solid, like it's just a good, like you watched it and you just felt like, oh, it's, it's a good old school, like fall release, like school ties, school yeah. ties. I put, I, and it's got a coward moment in there. That's where oh, in the yes. rain. Yes. Screaming in the rain. Yes. That warden is such a coward. All right. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I, that's where I kind of would put it though. I feel like for me, school ties, uh, it like is a notch higher. School ties is a special movie. Everybody listen back to our school ties episode. It's a, gem. yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. There's something about school ties. I'm just, I have, I definitely have a bias towards it. Uh, so, yeah. uh, yeah. A movie all about bias. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, Dan, what Shawshank oh Redemption? Yes. It is this like yes. you know classic you know '90s movie. What would you do given the chance to to do something with this movie? Well, I'd of course remake it as a Mary Poppins. Uh, no, oh, okay, no. Um, there, there were a couple of things I was thinking about, and and I don't know if it was just kind of the presence of opera in it. it like I definitely, I don't think a musical would oh, work, but I yeah, feel like no. and like something. Almost setting the story to music. I don't know. Something like that would like an operetta, perhaps. I don't know. It would. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of like I think about it and I'm like, eh. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a prequel about Red and his like, how did Red get to be the guy who knows how to get things? Yeah. And so, I don't know. I don't understand how that works i'd love to explain that i know yeah yeah and it, it trust me it's not really explained in the book so i would love to i think like to see how uh you know to see red pre-prison yeah and to see his his crime and it's a good i mean how old is he when he when he's put in like i think he's like if you take a look at his mugshot, he looks like a kid yeah. Like 19 yeah. or something, maybe. Yeah. So I think it's a great opportunity to, you know, give a role to a to a young actor who doesn't necessarily who, who there's such an age difference. I don't think yeah. you'd be expecting no. them to do Morgan Freeman. So I think a, a so I would I would do a red prequel. And I would, and of course, you would have like young Brooks in in there, yeah. and you know you'd have some of right. those familiar characters. I would do that, and I I don't know. I was also thinking it would be kind of interesting to see, like catching up with Red and Andy, and I think mostly just because like Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman are both still around and and yeah. still working. I I think Tim Robbins, you know, He's still taking a step back. I don't know. I think he's more involved in theater. he might be more involved in like theater and maybe activism. I think oh, yeah. he might be uh 
you know, he's he's always been very, you know, politically active and, mm-hmm. and vocal. So um, but, you know, to kind of get him and Morgan Freeman together and catch up with them. So it's it's in the 60s when they meet up. So how many years, you know, what is it? 25 years later. So what if you oh, here. So here's the idea. OK. All right. So Red and Andy have their own their their own place they've they've relocated to to an island uh maybe someone recognizes them someone recognizes them or okay. or, rec- or recognize andy because because uh red is paroled so but right. andy yeah. dufresne and someone's like hey you look like this that cold-blooded uh killer and uh, so they have to so they go to this island and they open up a new i've always imagined them like opening up a little like like beach like little beach bar or something mm-hmm. so they open it up and they're doing all right and the next thing you know uh all the business is going to this other place because there's a sexy young bartender it's 1988 and there's a sexy young bartender who flips bottles and it's I'm Kokomo shaking my head listeners because you know where i'm going yes I right do. it's the cocktail redemption it's cocktail it's yeah. cocktail no, no, I, no, no, I, I, that was not my, not my intention with that idea, but it would be something, and you know what, it would be, it's kind of something, it's a concept that you could do as a film, or you could do it as a stage play, and have, like, it was it Red and Andy, you know, 25 years, 30 years, I mean, you wouldn't need, in a stage play, you wouldn't necessarily need Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman. no. It, you know, people would, if you made a film, it would have to be the two of them. You could, yeah. no one would accept them otherwise. Right. Yeah. So those are, those are my, I think those are my ideas. Either, you know, the red, the early years or red or catching up with red and Andy, red and Andy get old. Oh boy. Uh, you know, I had a, a similar thought to your red prequel and it was really like an anthology series to see how everybody really got to Shawshank, you know, seeing and, and, you know, because you've got Brooks, you know, it's seeing people in a different era, uh, you know, having a lot of these characters on their pathways to Shawshank. And maybe it's people that also that we haven't seen. There's your title. There's your title, Pathways to Shawshank. Pathways to Shawshank. There you go. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I, I this is such this is one of those movies that people have such a, a fondness for that, like, you know, to do something to remake it would that would never work. Uh, no. To do a sequel, it's like. You know, that sounds like a fun fan fiction type of situation to kind of do a, you know, where are they now type of situation. But uh, it kind of ends so sweet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, that the only thing left is really where things begin. Right. And, and you know, and also it could be like the warden. You know, maybe he wasn't always crooked and terrible. Like, how does somebody get to be that way that's true yeah oh i i i like that idea that you yeah. know kind of seeing everyone's the the like head prison guard like how does he become this guy who just has this soulless and just kind of like beats the living shit out of some of the inmates and 
I am. You know? I'm, I imagine the these episodes kind of almost being like the lost, like the flashbacks in in Lost, oh, but yeah. <laughs> but pretty much that's the whole episode. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or you know, there could be a six episode season focusing on each one of them. You know. Uh, oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but could be interesting. That's the that's the only thought that I really had. I dig it. I I like that. I like kind of expanding on it and. Just to point out something, something I was thinking about was it. It feels like for some adaptations, some like Stephen King things, it doesn't quite feel right when it's not based on his material. I think yeah. it's why Doctor Sleep felt so much more legitimate than That's... like a, a Pet Cemetery too. Oh yeah, I haven't seen Doctor Sleep yet, but oh, uh, I need yeah. to watch it. I need to watch it again. I I, I was tired when I watched, and mm-hmm. yeah, I fell asleep. So. Yeah, I mean that's also. But we'll, with this, we'll cover we'll cover other Stephen King adaptations another time because like there are so many and I mean is there another author whose works have been adapted as like quickly and uh, you know with as many as Stephen King really yeah. like. But to, so but to come but to come back to it, I feel like so much of what makes this so beloved and so much of of what. M- you know, has made it such an enduring classic are the contributions of Frank Darabont. Yeah. So I don't, I I would almost feel like his involvement would be more necessary than Stephen King's. Although, you know, the Stephen King stamp of approval does carry a lot of weight. (laughs) Yeah. uh, And just to give an idea of, you know, other Frank Darabont works. uh, So, Let's see. Uh, like you said, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, he wrote. He wrote the 88, The Blob, uh, the 89, The Fly 2, and then he does Shawshank Redemption and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, he wrote as well. Uh, oh. Green Mile uh, is next, uh, wrote, directed, produced. The Majestic, directed and produced, did not write uh salt and sea collateral he was an executive producer on in 2004 and then yes the miss i didn't realize uh, he directed the salt and sea i oh wait did he he produced the salt he produced it he didn't direct it directed the majestic i never saw the majestic yeah uh so and then i i guess he was a script doctor on uh the fan and eraser in 96 saving private ryan uh, collateral, uh, yeah, again, collateral, uh, Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull law abiding citizen, the 2014 oh, yeah. Godzilla and the huntsman winters war. So, um, yeah. And, you know, did, did a little bit of, uh, television here and there and including, um, a a American neo-noir crime drama television series that he created for TNT of which he created, directed, wrote, and produced, called Mob City. And Dan, do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be covering on our next episode? I would love to tell everybody what we're covering on our next episode, because you segued so nicely into it. Because 
uh, the only way you can live in Mob City is if you are married to the mob. And speaking of 1988, yeah. that's when this movie came out. Features Michelle Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. uh, co-stars Matthew um, Modine, Matthew Mo- Mo- Matthew and Modine, uh, my twin boys, Matthew and Modine. Uh, yeah, Matthew Modine is in there. Dean, uh, the late great Dean Stockwell, pour yeah. another one out for Dean Stockwell. Oliver Platt. Uh, Chris Isaac is that's in right. there. Yep. yep. So and directed uh, by the late great Jonathan Demi. That's right. And so if if there were to be a drinking game for our podcast, if we reference or quote Jiminy Glick, you take a shot. <laughs> yes. uh, it happens at least once an episode. Everybody, it's it's undeniable. So Dan, you know where you're going on this journey. You're going through 500 yards of shit, my friend, and I wish you a good journey on there. Good journey.
day one I talked about getting out, but not forgetting about how all my worst fears are letting out. He said, why put a new address on the same old loneliness when breathing just passes the time until we all just get old and die? Now talking's just a waste of breath and living's just a waste of death. And why put a new address on the same old loneliness? And this is you and me and me and you until we've got nothing left.